Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am here on this beautiful Unleavened Bread Day uh, in Studio B that's with right. Pastor Nick Plummer. Seven days. Yeah, that's right. We are, we are knee-deep in Unleavened Bread. I've had a little bit of matzah every day. Every I gotta go find day. some over the fellowship hall. Because, you know, I think sometimes we focus on the negative command of not eating leaven. It tells you to eat it every day. But it tells you to eat matzah every day. To remember. Yes. How cool is that? It's easy. Yeah. Oh, man. It I've got easy. a version of the Bible that says put butter and horseradish on it. Oh, that's interesting. Mine, mine is peanut butter. Yeah. Didn't say you can't put nothing on it. Yeah. But yeah the kids had Nutella on it. Yeah. Daddy, look at this. Nutella. And strawberries. Yeah. I do like the <clears throat> Hillel sandwich, you know. Where you have like the horseradish and then like the the horset on it. Ooh. Oh man, the sweet apple <sighs> mixture. My wife told me this year that ours at our seder was the best she's ever had, and I was like, "Wow, you know." It's just more personable. I just don't know what I did this year to make it different. You know, you I make up. it every year. Yeah, but it it was better this year. <laughs> I've never had a bad seder, so. <laughs> uh, unless you're Judas, you know. Ooh, yeah, that was not good, was it? So, all right, well, welcome everybody to uh, Christians with Torah. If you're here for the first time, we are what we sound like. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus, right? We, a lot of times you'll hear us call him Yeshua, uh, but we also believe in the relevance of the whole Bible from Genesis all the way to maps with an emphasis on Torah because the Torah is not done away with. The Torah is relevant to the believer's life today and adds a richness and fullness to the expression of our faith. And that's what it is. How do you want to express your faith? That's it. You know, and everybody should be expressing their faith. Wherever you're at, whatever has been revealed to you, live what's revealed. Well, that's revelation. I'm going to throw all of our little sayings in there. And like, I should live just make like revealed. a, like a, like a yeah. blooper reel of just every little <laughs> saying that we that have. You know? Boom, 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 boom. You know? He spoke that to me when I was just walking in the mall. It's busy. Yeah. It's loud. Yeah. And I'm walking. He's like, Live what's revealed because he talks to us whenever you want to. Talk to I him. even made us t shirts, remember? Yeah, live so what's revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may keep the words of this law. That's good. Praise God, I tell you what. So, uh, if you've been listening for the past few years, you know we've been doing the tour portions every week. Uh, currently, we're in Leviticus um, doing the tour portions. However, during the podcast and on our Monday Night Bible Studies, we've been doing the book of Matthew. And so we're just taking in bite-sized chunks, uh, little pieces that we can, can absorb and really discuss and, and really get the fullness of what you know, Yeshua's message is. And so we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, and today we're going to be doing verses 38 through 40. 38 to 50. Mm. That's what I meant. 38 yeah. to 50. Well, can you imagine we only get three, <laughs> three verses? This would be the shortest podcast yeah. we've ever done. Or it'd be the longest, because you know sometimes that... You know, you really dive deep. You can, you can go deep. So yeah, so this is this is really a good time. Um, so once you go ahead and read verses thirty-eight to forty-two, the desire of signs is rebuked. Is the title there? Yeah, it's a good section. So then, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, "Teacher, we want to see a sign from you." But he answered and said to them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they, uh, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Bomb. So what did the scribes and Pharisees want to see from Yeshua? <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to see a sign. Because he'd been going around doing signs and wonders. So they wanted like it's like dance monkey. Give us a sign. Show us one of your tricks. You know, it's kind of what they were doing. Yeah, it's kind of like entertainment or 
yeah. on a whim. Yeah, 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 exactly. Bad motives. Oh, absolutely. So the scribes and the Pharisees were asking for another miraculous sign, but they were not sincerely seeking Yeshua. Yeshua knew they had already seen enough miraculous proof to convince them that he was the Messiah if they would just open their hearts. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Yeshua told me a long time ago, let the critics come to you. And that's what happens with Yeshua. Yeah. They're scoping him out and coming after him, you know. So Yeshua said, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. That's mm-hmm. in uh, verse 39. Which is a little rough. You know, there's certain sayings of, of Yeshua that I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't disagree with them, but I, because obviously they're his sayings, but I don't necessarily have to like them, you know. Because, like, I would like a sign, you know, like, Lord, if you want me to go to this place or that place or take this job or I that job. He's, he's, he's weighing the motives. Give me a sign. Exactly. I agree. I agree. He's, this like, is, this he's is jumping mo- right in there thinking, okay, this is the sign that... Well, and, and here's <clears throat> the truth of the matter, I believe, is that no matter if he would have given them a sign or not, it would not have swayed them either way, right? So it's not going to change the outcome. And so when you know that with people, don't cast your pearls before now, swine. Now, you know, see, let the main thing be the main thing. Oh, right? yeah. So that's what we're going to be getting into. Oh, yeah. You know, I've been really just checking out the uh, Six Trials of Jesus book by John W. Lawrence. Okay. Outstanding theologian the way he just put everything together cool types and shadows and look how this corresponds with the messiah but yeah look how it looks to us and these trials and everything you know that he was he was without sin and he was perfect so he he breaks down all these these things but um but he's going to get into something really interesting here because he's going to cut to the chase and get to the point which is so important you know yeah we argue and debate over the most foolish things like the sacred name and calendars we argue and debate and then we just don't really even get anywhere and we miss out on the person that's right we 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 really miss out on the revelation or information that's very advantageous to make me be better or do better but anyway in chapter 12, verses 40 and 41, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, uh, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Mm. Now, he, right now he credits Jonah. So he gives credit to that book and to that character. Yeah. Just like when he says, you know, as Daniel spoke of, as, as the abomination, you know, he's giving credit to Daniel in his book, see? So whenever he makes a mention to a prophet or somebody, he's giving credit to that person. You know, that book. what's interesting, too, is he's not um, like for those people that would dismiss the story of Jonah and, and the, the big fish or the whale. Right. There's there's many people to be like, oh, you believe that stuff? Well, Jesus did. So, well, you know, we clearly he's like, hey, Jonah was think, in the belly of a whale, you know, um, <laughs> or a fish, whatever. I guess it's public records. I have to go back and st- study it out. But somebody was swallowed by a fish. Oh, no doubt. Off the of the Northeast Coast, I think off of Massachusetts or something. Something happened. But were they spit out and resurrected back to life you know, I mean, on the beach? I'm just saying, but still to be swallowed by a fish and survive. Oh, they survived. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, there's, you know. Incredible. You don't have to try to, you know, figure it all out. No. But then, of course, it goes on to say that the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Yeah. You know, I talked about this before. We'll say it again, but he, he's saying that a greater than Jonas is here. Yeah. Just like when they were debating, he was talking about the priests profaning the temple and all that because they work on Sabbath and do the work of the Lord, but it's okay. Right. But he said a greater one is here, the, greater than the temple. So he's putting it in perspective about a person. Yeah. The relationship. Uh, so, so you know... Um, so he's pointing something out here that, hey, Nineveh repented. Right. So here I am. I'm, I'm the Messiah. You know, here I am. And there's no repentance. You know, this message should really hit home to the people within the Hebrew Roots movement. And I think it's because, like, as you just mentioned, keeping the main thing the main thing, Yeshua the person is the main thing. Realizing our sin and our brokenness and how we need a Savior is the main thing. The gospel is the main thing. And so when we get so caught up, like you said, in you know ancillary details like sacred name, shape of the earth, whatever, it doesn't even have to be those things. It could be, hey, are you wearing your seat or not? Hey, are you, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever 
thing it is, right. whether val- valid or not. It does. It's. I'm not dismissing the validity of any right any doctrine. But when you don't rightly prioritize things in the way that God prioritizes things and repent to him for the things that where we have idle words and we have sin and we have right. these things and repent before him and humble ourselves before him and encourage others to be in that same posture, then you're part of the generation that's being rebuked here and not part of the Ninevites. It's saying the Ninevites, and listen, these people were pagan, idolatrous people, it was rough. sacrificing like babies and stuff. I mean, we're talking about like evil stuff. Evil stuff. And I imagine Jonah, so like Jonah himself, he goes to, to, he's been called to Nineveh. I imagine this like a Jew in the 1940s being called to go to the Nazis and say, hey, God said you're, you're bad and yeah. you need to repent. And then like them repenting. So, I mean, I, I can see it because people would kind of you know give Jonah a hard time, I think, about him not wanting the Ninevites to repent. But I imagine that situation with the Nazis and that giving us kind of a clearer picture of a, of a uh, example today, you know, um, to really know what it would have been like in his shoes and why he was thinking and behaving the way that he was. Well, behaving. behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have to acknowledge that and we do need to repent. So Jonah was a prophet sent to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Yeah. Jonah tried to run from his assignment and ended up spending three days in the belly of a huge fish when Jonah got out, he grudgingly went to Nineveh, preached God's message, and saw the evil city repent. So once again, we have, uh, by contrast, when Yeshua came to his people, they refused to repent. Here Yeshua was clearly saying that his resurrection would prove his identity as the Messiah. Three days after his death, Yeshua would come back to life, just as Jonah was given a new chance at life after three days in the fish. You know, Jonah had a bad attitude, and uh, he was very reluctant. Yeah. And I can understand that, you know, but God still used him. Absolutely. You know, and so we look at all the different disciples and all the different people that God uses, and we can be a little reluctant, you know. So we're developing the storyline. Hey, I'll give you a sign. My resurrection, when it's coming. Yeah, exactly right. I'll give you a sign. Yeah, no doubt. And that is the whole, that's the whole enchilada. Oh, yeah. That's the icing on the cake. Yeah. That's the, that is, that's it. I'm going to give you a sign. That's Don't right. Don't worry about that. That's right. Um. Now, in Matthew twelve forty two, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Hallelujah. So they're comparing Gentiles to the natural, natural yeah. branches, the Jewish people, saying, hey, even, even the Gentiles repented. I actually love this story from the queen of the south, right? Who comes up um, and it's found in first uh, Kings chapter 10 and it's verses 1 through 10 and I'm gonna read them because they're this is a this is a great I don't know how many people are really familiar. so the Queen of the South Queen of Sheba yep traveled so far uh, to see Solomon King of Israel and learn about his great wisdom right so here's what here's what it says it says now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord she came to test him with hard questions she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue which is like a, a lot of people with camels and uh, bore spice, which bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and the apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway, by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these, your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king, to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. 
So I just love this story because it's it's a way to show the Gentiles in a, a like in a positive light, right? Because really we have a choice. Uh, if you're born into Israel, right, then you are grown up in this path, this way, and you could say that you don't have a choice. But we out here in the nations, right, we heard of Jesus. We received the message, and then we believed, and then we repented of the ways that were given by, to us by our fathers, right? Many of us maybe grew up in the church, you know, or, or something like that, but it doesn't mean that we don't still have the remnants of, of these nations, right, the Gentiles on us, and that when we become grafted into Israel, that we then get to partake in all of the treasure that Solomon had, plus more, because God has more than Solomon had, you know? That's good, that's good. It is good. So both Nineveh and the Queen of the South consisted of being Gentiles, and they recognized the truth about God when it was presented to them, unlike the Jewish religious leaders who ignored the truth even though it stared them in the face. Yeah. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 42. You know, uh, I don't want to give the Jews a bad rap. I just don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to, you know, seem condescending because, I mean, the facts are the facts. It is what it is. Yeah, of course. And this is how the storyline developed, you know. It will be no different if Yeshua would come today and challenge our church leadership per se, but, uh, but he was, uh, he was coming after the status quo. He was coming after it. Yeah. He was like, Hey, listen, this is not the way it was intended. Right. You know, and, and John W. Lawrence is an incredible, just theologian. This, 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 one of the books I read, I'm still finishing it up. The six trials of Jesus, John W. Lawrence, excellent resource book. If you can get that, get it. Cause it's like he passed away and his books are, can be expensive. Like one of them was going for like $65. Oh, wow. But he really just breaks down the fact that, you know, Yeshua was without sin and he was perfect. Yeah. And he just really breaks it down to the point of here are his attributes. This is why he did it. This is what he did. Yeah. You know, and uh, <clears throat> he went through those six trials because the father wanted him to, you know, and just yeah. like Herod, Herod, you know, wanted to, him to put on a show. Hey, want you to do something fancy, you know? Yeah. And they ended up, of course, covering him in a white robe and escorting him away, kind of mocking him. Sure. But uh, even John W. Lawrence was reflecting that the white robe symbolized his, his innocence and his purity. And they didn't even realize what they were doing. Yeah. The irony of it. Sure. So, so I only say that because, you know, uh, and of course, the Lord is greater than the temple, Matthew 12, 6. It's his house. He says, <laughs> I'm greater than Jonah. Matthew twelve forty one, and I'm greater than Solomon. Matthew twelve forty two. So I'm not saying he's like got an ego or something, but what I'm saying is that he's like, listen, I'm God, yeah, and I'm in front of you. I mean, he needs to give them a right perspective. But see, in in hindsight, we can look back and say, you the man. Oh, you the man. You the man. You the man. He is the son of man. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I just think about this how yeah. how awesome he is, mm-hmm. how cocky we are, you know. Yeah. But. Uh, this is what we have, you know. So discuss how you respond to the evidence and truth that you have from God today. My only note is this. I would say this. How do I respond? Is Well, the Torah is teachings and instructions, and it shows us what sin is. Uh, in 1 John 3, 4, why do I bring this out? Because the church has skipped Mount Sinai. Now we all have to go back and read it. 1 John 3, 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And, it, and it's relevant for today. Yeah. So we're doing these things because it's relevant for today. That's right. You know, that's what God is showing us. You know, the Hebrews of the Christian faith has some certain parts that everyone can do and agree and get along with. We can all do the feasts. We can all eat clean meats and not unclean meats. Yeah. You know, we could all do the Shabbat on Friday night to Saturday night. Yeah. Be at home and come together corporately. That's really attainable. Uh, we can all read the Torah portions and find Yeshua in there and how yeah. relevant it is. So there's those parts of it. We take trips to Israel. It can't be that easy. Are you it, sure? It I think it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I heard that the Torah was bondage <laughs> and that it was a big oppressing weight that just like weighed you down. Is that true? No. No. <laughs> I heard it's like honey. Yeah. So what do you think about that? What's, what's the evidence? So how, I, how do you respond to the evidence? I came into, my, my journey into the Hebrew started because God led me to cancel cable. And then through watching a teaching, um, I 
had a decision to make. I received some valid information and I was like, you know, from my, another ministry. Yeah. My first reaction was, can I unwatch that? That's what my first reaction was. Can I just not, can I just rewind the tape? You know, like what do I do now? We go about my merry way. Exactly right. I was stuck at a crossroads where I had to make a decision. And while I want to say that my response to that was simple obedience, right? It was more like reluctant obedience and cautious obedience. Like, is this real? Like, who else is doing this? Like, I was looking for some validation for the information and things like that. But it was a true message that it was meant for, for me and my family. And I can say that from that point forward, I've gone a different way. Um, and I pray that God would alert me to the things that are like that even today, because I think we come to a certain place where we get comfortable, even within the Hebrew roots and our certain things. And then people bring in like new information or new ideas and we're, we're resistant to it. That's Just good. like the church was resistant to right. the information that we were bringing. And, I don't want to be that. I don't want to have a callous heart because, oh, just because I came over to this side of the, the, you know, the doctrinal, you know, spectrum, now I'm in the right place. Like, I want to always be looking to the Lord for where and what we should be doing because <clears throat> that's what Yeshua was saying to the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they had it together. They were rebuking him. He's God, and they're rebuking him. How dense in your own conceit, your own ideology do you have to be to be looking God in the face and rebuking him for what he's saying and calling him a blasphemer. I mean, like, you got to be real. Well, they said he had devils. That's even worse. He casts out devils by the devil. So, so I know. that's So they literally, I mean, they missed it hard. And I'm not saying that, I'm saying that we can do that too. I'm saying that, you know, we can get so caught up that we have our religious, you know, whatever, doctrine, dogma, correct, and that we have, oh, because of my, you know, scripture and this point, and here's my three points on why this and this and this. So are we supposed to punish others for the truth that we reveal? No, 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 no. Please don't punish other people. That's, you only punish yourself. Or to make everybody like you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like when we have congressional dance. Not everybody has to get up and dance. You know what the response should yeah. be? Now I understand the question. The response, just like the response to everything, should be grace, mercy, and obedience. That should be the response. Grace and mercy for others and obedience in our own lives. Putting him first. And joy. You know. Joy. Um, putting him first. Let's, let's move into uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. I'll read those three verses. Okay. The unclean spirit returns. Wow. This is kind of interesting because he, he's almost like giving the Gentiles a little tidbit here. Like, he sure Listen, is. You've repented. You're coming to me. Yeah. But now it's time to clean up. That's right. So it says right here, uh, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, verse 43 of chapter 12, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Oof. Ouch. So what happens to an unclean spirit that has gone out of a man? He walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. So I find it interesting that unclean spirits, which we can also call these demons, right? We would equate unclean spirits and demons to, to be the same thing. Um, that they're seeking rest. Um, and that they a host, that they right, and that they can't find that rest without a host, and and that's to me an interesting point that they are tormented because, um, and and what is it? I think it's from, was it from the book of Enoch that we get the idea that the Nephilim, yeah, the, the, off, the, the Nephilim, offspring of of the are the demons, right? So the Nephilim spirits when they yeah. died. Their spirits are stuck. Yeah, there's d wandering the divine the council, these divine beings, the lesser Elohim. Yeah, they, they are. Uh, Which just comes from Genesis 6. It's, it's spiritual. The sons of God it's and the, the daughters of man. It really is. Right, they we produce fallen angels. The Nephilim. And the the fallen angels, the watchers, were the ones who went into the women and then created yeah. the demons. Right. Well, yeah. they created the Nephilim. The Nephilim then die and become. Their you know, spirits we just, are held we captive. Just, we just turn around and we just figure, oh, you know, 
there's just demons. There's just fallen angels. There's roaming around. No, there was a, there was something going on. There's something funky. Well, and that's why their spirits are stuck in limbo, because they they're unclean. They're they're the production of a unclean intermingled. It's uh, definitely still a mystery relationship, right? But they're seeking this rest and they can't find any. And I just find that very interesting. So what's verse, verses 44, 45 say? So then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when it is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be for this wicked generation. Um. I mean that's that's some some big stuff there. Well, go ahead and let's 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 get into this and this bullet point here, and then I'll read it. All right. So demons were often associated with dry places, apparently because deserts were thought of being devoid of blessing of the blessing of God that came from rainfall in abundant crops. Just cleaning. Here's a good one. This is a good one, and I actually kind of want to reverse this Wait, one. Before you do that, though, let me read. Okay. So Isaiah 13, verses 19 through 22, is actually the reference given by most theologians of this activity. Okay. Okay. So it, it says right here in Isaiah 13, 19 through 22. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Notice that. It shall never be inhabited. Interesting. So what's going to be there? Shall the Arabian pitch tent there? Neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. So huh. nobody's going to be there. It's right. going to be desolate. Remember? Never yeah. be inhabited. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there. And satyrs shall dance there. Wow. And also when it says the owls, it's the daughters of the owls. And the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses and dragons in their pleasant places. And her time is near to come and her days shall not be prolonged. Oof. So this demonic activity is agonizing in this particular area because they can't inhabit anybody. There's nobody around. So they're crying out. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that there was it's probably deep. some Nephilim in Sodom and Gomorrah when it was deep, destroyed. Deep. Which would mean that... The, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you just go back to, to Lot's yeah. house and his daughters, they knew the angels had gone in there. Right. They wanted to know them. Yeah. We want to know them. That's a little strange. Yeah, to yeah. have, you know, some kind of... Inappropriate, in, inappropriate relationship. That's yeah. what we use. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, it's all just one little piece, though. These are kind of hanging, but there was something going on. Yeah, no, some weird stuff. So just cleaning up one's life without filling it with God leaves plenty of room for Satan to enter. Reading our lives of sin is the first step. We must also take the second step of filling our lives with God's word and the Holy Spirit. Unfilled people are easy targets for Satan. I would only reverse this and to say that we need God first and that the power of the Holy Spirit will help us clean up our lives. Well, yeah, that. I mean, it's just, you know, once you get convicted, then you, you start the cleanup process. That's right. So I would assume that this is saying that we've already received God and or accepted the, the message of Yeshua. Right. And now it's time to start cleaning up, cleaning up. And, you know, it's just like dieting. You know, you, you try to cut carbs you try to cut this out of your diet or whatever but you can't really do it you can't just abstain you have to fill it with something else you have to push something else in and it's so much easier to do that than it is to try to just abstain from something you know fill yourself with something else it, it's so true ryan because since i've really cut out because to watch tv is like to escape reality it's just yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a no-brainer like okay i'm gonna just sit and just veg out literally uh, so i'm gonna escape reality <laughs> yeah. whatever whatever whatever's going on through sight and sound yeah but since i quit doing that oh i feel so much better yeah clarity of mind because <laughs> i had a little ritual where i was watching the dw news then the bbc came on then from like 6 to 6, 6.30, I'd maybe watch Rick Steves. Then at uh. 6.30, David Muir, ABC World News. So that was my little ritual from like 5 to 7. Yeah. I cut it out. I don't do it anymore. Good for you. Because we're creatures of habit. Oh, yeah. But but uh, I do jump on the rebounder. But it's interesting how we can just change what we're doing. Yeah. And feel better. Oh, yeah. You know, 
because what they're trying to feed us and tell us is not good. It can be one-sided. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me just bring this point out. Mary Magdalene had seven devils cast out of her. Mm-hmm. And she was the first one to see the resurrected Messiah. Right. I wonder if she had one devil and got her life together, kicked out the devil, and then and then seven more came you know, back. To, to be layered, though, that's kind of scary. Oh, but yeah. uh, I would say this. Uh, I want to read Luke chapter 8. Verse 2. Let's just check this out. There's a lot of women in this per- particular section, you know, where they just flock to Jesus, a bunch of groupies. <laughs> but the women are so awesome in Jesus' ministry. People leave the women out. But they're so important. Oh, yeah. So I want to just give a shout out to the beautiful women of God. But check this out. In Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. Oh, wow. And Susanna and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Wow. So, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. Yeah. This guy that served Herod was in the inner court, in the inner circle. There was a connection there. Well, what's interesting is is now... Um you're seeing that they ministered to Yeshua, meaning they, they brought for his Substance, needs. They brought food. food right. Clothing. Oh, yeah, homemade what, macaroni and cheese. Yeah, whatever he needed. Now, here's what's interesting. There's uh, a popular deceptive ideology um, that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a thing, right? And I think that comes from um, the books by Dan Brown. He has a whole series of novels that's fiction. Um, and this idea that there are real descendants, like blood descendants of Jesus. Um, but what's interesting is most scholars, especially based on those verses that you just read, believe that Mary Magdalene was probably an older woman, most likely a widow who had still her husband's wealth. Well, I don't know where they get a checkered past, though. Cause well, they, they, okay, so the checkered past, I don't know about the checkered past. I'm saying that she was most likely a widow, but she's most likely know. older yeah. than Yeshua, and that she had a lot of money. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, it, they claim that she was a prostitute. That comes from a different place where a prostitute had devils cast out of her, and they're conflating the two, saying that even though the name isn't given in this other story, they're saying it's Mary Magdalene. But I just thought that maybe she was like a woman of dye or something like clothing or cloth. Isn't there somebody else that was that was dealing with like a, her trade was was cloth and dyeing of cloth or something? I'm not sure. I know, but this is where we speculate, see? Can you imagine that? Well, there's a lot of, even what I just said is still speculation, um, but they're just saying that it's more likely that, <coughs> that she... Was like I said, an older widow that had money, and that she was helping finance or, or you know, provide for the needs of the disciples and Jesus as they traveled. How powerful is that? It's very powerful. I'd say this is like so incredible. All this stuff, you know. Yeah. So, if this wicked generation continues to reject Yeshua, even after witnessing his divine authority over demons, their condition will be worse than if they had never seen him. Rut row. You know, I mean, we got to really let Scripture interpret Scripture, you know, uh, not to dig too much into this. You know, I don't believe in, you know, demons don't own a Christian, possess a Christian. No, of but course they not. Can, they can oppress. But they can oppress and yeah. be a familiar spirit. Uh, I tell you, I, I, I experienced, you know, something. Uh, and they even call alcohol spirits. <laughs> That's interesting, right? I know. It's like, hmm, what part of this don't you understand? Yeah. You know? And, you know, uh, and, and it's why... When you think about it, I mean, it's a real issue, whether it's drugs or alcohol. You know, if you can't be in your right mind, then that's when the occult, the demonic activity can, can really happen and oh, yeah. take place and total debauchery and everything else, you know. Uh, so, so discuss why it is so important to fill yourselves with the things of God instead of the world. We have two references, Ryan, if you'd like to read those. Yeah, let's go to Romans 12, 2. Yeah, uh, read those two references. I thought they were really good. Yep. Um, so Romans 12, 2 uh, says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, we have a will here at Beit Tehillah, and I like to joke about that verse with him. The perfect will of God. <laughs> and where there's a will? There's a Vanessa. There's a Vanessa. <laughs> That's his wife's name. 
All right, so First uh, John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So think about this. Just take those two verses and say, okay, I want to fill myself up yeah. with God. Yep. Renew your mind and do the will of God. Yep. I mean, think about it. First of all, the culture is so full of, uh, well, self-centeredness, oh, selfishness, yeah. ego. But at the same time, also, you know, slander, gossip, accusations. Bad counsel. Yeah. So why don't we just turn that turn that around and, 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 and be different, you know? Yeah. Like instead of putting down leaders, we should be praying for them. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Renew your mind and do the will of God. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, idle hands are the devil's workmanship. Is that what they say? Or what devil's work? An idle mind is the devil's workshop? No. Yeah, idle hands. Right? So when you don't have anything to do then you get yourself in trouble. Um, that's like, if you have toddlers, you know this to be true. If you keep a toddler busy, you can have a very well-behaved toddler if they're stimulated and occupied. But the minute you leave them to their own devices, there's another room somewhere where it gets a little quiet. And you know <laughs> when it gets quiet in the other room <coughs> that there's trouble, you know, afoot. And so I think the same is true even of us adults. Um, you know, we have a tendency when we're not doing the will of God and renewing our mind daily and filling ourselves with him and the things of him that we're allowing something else to come into that place. Yeah. And those other things, not only are they not as good as him, but sometimes they will be pulling us away from him. Um, yeah, this is the washing of the water of the word. Exactly right. Husbands love your wives as Christ of the church and gave himself for. So the washing of the water of the word, you know, and it's actually trying to comprehend, you know, that's why I really enjoyed reading that book. I can't say it enough the six trials of Jesus and really breaking down what, what Jesus is yeah, and what he has actually done. See, when we fill ourselves up with that and we repeat that, the, the selfish tendencies tend to go away. Absolutely. And you're wanting to be like, man, he did all this for me, man, what can I do for him? You know, put up with a lot of bull crap. Yeah. That's yeah. You yeah. Do. You got to put up with a lot of bull crap for sure. That's a one sign. And you, you can, you can deal with people because they're off the chains or whatever. But it's like you can actually make a difference because you know what's been done for you and you know who he is. For sure. You know, and I was just like, you know, he stood before Herod, didn't say one word. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. But the six trials were very interesting. Um, and as we, you know, if we were just to break these down, I mean, you could string them along, you know, like a tapestry. But I, I thought this was interesting that, you know, Yeshua's upset because he's like, hey, listen, God's here. I'm here. I'm God. Yeah. And you're not repenting. And you want to sign? Okay, I'll give you a sign. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. be resurrected. Okay. Right? And then he's, then he's talking about this stuff, right? Yeah, I'll give you your sign. I'll give you, I'll give you that. But you're going to have to wait for it. You know, no, I'm, but hold on. Because think about this stuff. Just, right. just develop the storyline. Yeah. So he turns around. And he says, hey, the Gentiles are getting this. Look, matter of fact, if I was to go back to Nineveh, yeah. They would have all repented if I was preaching. Sure. They and did. the queen of the south, if she were to come to me, she would be, you know, this credible queen or whatever. But she would repent. Yep. She would gain the wisdom that I'm giving now. But you refuse to receive that. That's right. And, and he's jacked up over that, you know. Now, now what's interesting is that he delves into this storyline, sure. Ryan. This is where it gets fascinating. Because this is where I think it's really for us. Right. You read it back then and it all unfolded. But now God's putting it together for us because I'm thinking to myself, okay, now God's like, okay, I got the Gentiles. You guys got to clean yourself up. Yeah. Fill yourself with me. Right. Right. Cause we close it out with what? You're going to be my family. That's right. That's what he always wanted. Always. So you can share which one. I thought I just, that was great. I just want to make the point because I don't think it can be reiterated that the Pharisees and the ones that are coming against Jesus and that Jesus is rebuking here are supposed to be the ones that represent him. And so this is part of the reason why I believe he's so angry with them is that they are supposed to know better, right? They're the ones that yeah. are studying the Torah. They're the ones that are uh, working in the, in the temple and doing the things that are supposed to be bringing the people closer to God. But what they've done is they've basically put themselves in the place of God. Right. 
and they're doing it for their own selfish interest. And a lot gain. of man-made traditions. Exactly right. And you know, and, and, and you got to understand Judaism and the culture. You know, they built so many fences around the commandments, so you won't break the commandments. And I understand the the yeah. the, the concept. Yeah. But that's not what it's intended to be or do. Agreed. So let's jump into uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. Is the true family of Yeshua. We don't need to read that for the sake of time because it's kind of self-explanatory. Sure is. But go ahead and just jump in there, Ryan, with that whole so concept who, there. Who came to Yeshua while he was talking to the people? His mother and his brethren. So his mother and his brothers came, um, and they're at the door. And what did Yeshua say when they told him about it? Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. So I'm sorry, this is what they said to him, <clears throat> Yeah. right? And then what did Yeshua say to the ones that were telling him that his mother and brothers So his response is, hey, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Yeah, good question, right? right? So this is interesting. I know people uh, find this a little bit odd, but this is what Jesus says in verses 49 and 50. He He's says, pointing to the disciples. says, and he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren... For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. And so Yeshua calls for a new spiritual family in relationship to him and his Father, united in the defining characteristic of Yeshua's life and ministry, obedience to the will of the Father. Now, uh, you make the point here, Yeshua's messianic mission takes priority even over familial loyalties. Rather than negating the importance of one's biological family, which I want to repeat that, rather than negating the importance of one's biological family, Yeshua is demonstrating the preeminence of a person's commitment to him and the kingdom of heaven. Right? It is more important to be a part of the family of God than any other family on earth. I don't care if you were born into the Windsors or the Tudors or whoever, some royal family somewhere with vast wealth, importance, and power. There is no one with more importance, wealth, and power than God himself. And so I think that um, when he's pointing out that the people, and, and you know, one of my favorite prophets is the prophet Ezekiel. I like the prophet Ezekiel because he uses object lessons, or God He was a correspondent to, to those that were in captivity. Right, right, and right. his wife died. He said, don't mourn over her. Oof. But, but God uses object lessons with him, right? So he has him build like a little Jerusalem and then, you know, bang it <laughs> and break it. Um, you know, he has him, you know, lay on his side and then on his other side. And he does these things with him that are, are object lessons. And I like these little object lessons that God gives Ezekiel. Well, Yeshua does this through parables, these object lessons. It's the same kind of a, of a process. And so he uses these things like, hey, your mother and your brothers are at the door. It's like, no, 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 my family are the ones that do the will of the Father. It doesn't mean that my family that's outside the door isn't my family. But I'll tell you what, if they don't do the will of the Father, then you are more my family than they are. Uh, you know, I can't just get over this. Yeah. Because we make it so hard and complicated. For sure. We do this all the time. I was just thinking all the volumes of books that I have and magazines and just, you know, I mean, they're good. But I, I'm just saying that it's like, God sent his only begotten son, right, to die for us. When we acknowledge him, we come to the Father. When we acknowledge him, we get everything. That's right. So it's like, wow, okay, I get everything that Christ has for me because of what he's done for me. You get the bonus package. It's like, it's like if you recognize the son... The father is so happy. That's right. He is ecstatic. He, but we try to do all these other things to make God happy. Recognizing his son is the most important thing. Because what does Yeshua say? Hey, if you confess me before men, I'll confess, I'll confess you before my father. So I'm just saying, Ryan, this is so simple. What have we done to ourselves? It's like the never-ending late-night infomercial. Remember those back in the day? What? But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> By now and... Get double That's or right. triple or we'll look at the other end of your this. offer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just, I just, like I said. And it's all free. Yeah, that's good. It is wow. good. It is so good. what two points can be learned from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50 that you have, Ryan? It's pretty wow. simple. Yeah. So um, our, our first point, uh, the one that I got from last night, 
was I, when I was studying this, it dawned on me. We talk so much about, um, and it's funny we didn't even bring this up today, uh, about the timing of when Jesus died versus when he rose and the three days and three nights and how we have it wrong, you know, Good Friday versus Sunday and the third day. And I could see Good Friday because of it's part of a day, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's, he says three days and three nights. So yeah. in the belly of the earth. Yeah, we could break it down like that as well, but I've heard. I mean, he does. Know, he breaks right. it down. He said yeah. it. So, but I, I feel like, again, just like the Pharisees, we can get distracted focusing right. on how, oh, well, we've got the right timing. Right. Right. When in fact, what he really wants us to focus on is the next verse, which is the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The repentance is the sign that he's the Messiah. The yeah. repentance is the sign. It has to be. For us. Because what else is it going to be? unto him. What is Isaiah says? Unto him shall the Gentiles seek. What is it going to be? The, the biggest sign that anybody needs to know is that no man has been more revered and worshipped and sought after in the history of the world than Yeshua, Jesus, and, and the And how do we get the times in which we live? Period. In, Anno Domini, right? The year, year of our Lord. Lord. Yeah. So, again, this whole, I mean, even time split. 2,000 years his, ago. At his, right. 3,500 years ago, we got the Torah. Right. They imagine, 3,500 years ago, here we are doing I seders, know, family Passovers in our home. I was talking about that. For 3,500 years ago. Yeah. And here we are. But I just, I find, I mean, to me, this was just the big point, was that the way that you'll know he is who he is is because of the repentance of the Gentiles and how the Gentiles have come to this Hebrew, you know, Messiah. But um, see, you know, if we stop it, this isn't a time to beat up the Jewish people because no, it's just no, the no, way no, it no, happened. No. You know, he came not. to his own, his own didn't receive him. Oh, let his blood be upon us and our children. And all these verses that we use against the Jewish people. Don't boast against the branches. But, but think about it like this, though. Okay, he cursed the fig tree, but it wasn't time for figs. God was showing me, but figs are coming. Figs are coming. So, so it's almost like, you know, things are going to develop and start to, to happen as it unfolds. But it's going as planned. God's plan is going as planned. Yeah. And I started thinking about this. You know, if you look at the demographics of even Islam, you know, well, if he doesn't have a plan, yeah, the, the Muslims will take over the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that, you know, because the demographics are there. It's a numbers game. But I'm just saying that look, look, look at all the look at all the things that are that are that are happening and with all these nations, with all this tyranny. See, the. The lesser Elohim know their time is running out. Yeah. They're grabbing power and gripping power and position as long as they can for now. Yeah. But that's why you're having North Korea, Russia, China. These are large geographical areas. I mean, if you look at Russia and China, look at the geographical area. That's communist tyranny. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's almost like, I mean, how much of the world is tyranny? That'd be a neat little study. Yeah. Geographically speaking, what's the landmass? Now you got Europe. You can talk about socialism, sure, some form of democracy or whatever. But I'm just saying that you got tyranny a lot. Yeah. So there must be a sign that the Antichrist is coming. Yeah, no doubt. He's like the he's like the poster child yeah. of tyranny. They actually have this one series on Netflix. I'm watching. It's only like thirty or so. How to be how to become a dictator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How to be a dictator. Yeah. It's very enlightening. Well, the first thing you need to do, you know, yeah. and, it, and it goes into this, and they use like Hitler and Saddam Hussein as examples, Idi, uh, Idi Amin. But uh, it's like they, they show you, well, this is the formula. So now that you've done all of this, and I'm getting ready to go into the second one. Yeah. How do you hang on yeah, yeah, to yeah. your position? You know, how do you keep the wolves at bay, you know? Right, right. How, now, now you're not the underdog, and they leave you hanging, you know, so, like, the next one's coming, you know? So, yeah, yeah, So, like, you're taking, like, notes, how to be a dictator. Yeah. <laughs> but the way they did it was really, it's very good. Yeah. Because they just lay it out, the formula, you know, and make get people angry, you know? They're angry. And be a be a people of the people, you know? Be a man of the people. Yeah. You know, and so uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, like, Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. He was a Bedouin. Yeah. See? So, so, you know, he, he would, you know, he would, he would, when he would travel as, as the dictator, he would stay in tents and say he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he's a man of the people. Man of the people, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting to, to see how people are duped and all this other stuff. And, and see, God puts a deluding spirit on people if they don't want to receive the truth. Oh, absolutely. But I thought this was kind of interesting because like I said, in the times in which we're living, 
I just, I just can't forget. I can't get over that. Jesus is like saying, Hey, I'm greater than the temple. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. greater than Jonas. That's right. I'm greater than Solomon. Do you realize I came from heaven to earth? Do you realize that God is in your midst? I know. And this is why when people would worship him, he loved it. Yeah. John put his head on his bosom. I mean, he loved the attention. He loved it because he's God and because people wanted to give it to him freely. Yeah. Like the value of the alabaster box, you know, the value of that, you know. She knew the value of it. Yep. By giving, you know, how, how much it was worth. Yeah. She knew the value because he was more valuable than that that she was doing to him with it. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, so I'm just saying to that. So my second point, God wants a family. It's all about relationship. And that's good. So when you accept Yeshua, you become part of the family. And that's for somebody maybe out there that doesn't really have a family or feels alone. Right. That uh, you are part of a family. When you receive Yeshua, that's that's a good point. You know, I I, I I like to combine my points if I can get away with it. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. My mine is the the greatest sign Yeshua gave was his resurrection. Oh, absolutely. Just drop the mic. Yeah, that's. So if you if you want to know the greatest sign, he rose from the dead. Yep. That's point number one. Yep. Now point number two, I got. It's a three in one special. Ooh. I'm just gonna have okay. to do it. Yeah. I, I figured out a way to do this now. Good. Good. Repent. Fill yourself with God. And be the family of God. There you go. Look at that. Repent. Fill yourself with God. And be the family of God. Praise God. That's all I have. I like it. Well, wow. That's, I mean, it's so funny. We do, like, I feel like we do less and less verses, you know, as we're going through this process of of Matthew. Next week's 23 verses. But what I mean by that is that, but then we still, we're getting more. Like, it's not like we're lacking you know, things to discuss or... And that was a nice little points. section. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I agree. All right. I agree. Why don't will you pray us out? You can do it. Okay. Father, yeah, we just, we lift you up. We lift up your son and we just love you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you that you've given us insight through your word. And we just want to say, Lord, we want to be your sons and daughters. We want to be part of your family. And we're thankful that you have adopted us as sons and as daughters. And that we don't have to be orphans anymore. We don't have to be uh, alone anymore. That, um, that you are a good father. You're a good shepherd. And that we can be led and by you and trust in you. And so we put our trust in you today and every day. And we just love you. And we just thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, guys, if you want to reach out, ryan at twopraise.net. That's ryan at twopraise.net. And if uh, you have questions or or anything, or you want to make a comment, you can comment on the videos and, and podcasts. And make sure you like and subscribe and share and do all that good stuff. Bless you guys. Have a great week.